0: this episode is sponsored by linode linode is offering listeners of this podcast a 20 dollars credit which is good for four free months of their lowest plan their plans start at one gigabyte of ram for five dollars a month you can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers And their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at lino.com slash MyRubyStory. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Allison McMullen. You want to say hi, Allison? Hi. Now, you were uh, recently, anyway, we recorded an episode on Ruby Rogues, and you're also going to be speaking at the Ruby Dev Summit. Do you want to give people just a brief idea of who you are, like what you do, where you work, what kinds of projects you like to work on?
1: Sure. I am a software developer at Collective Idea. I've been there for about a year now. It's a really great company. Um, it's a consultancy. So we work with everyone from you know startups, sort of just starting out, to uh, Fortune 50 companies, uh, in terms of projects that I like to work on, um, I'm still at that point in my career where I just get excited by learning new things and mm. solving new problems and, you know, figuring out like sort of picking, picking things apart and breaking them down and then building up solutions. So um, there really isn't much that I don't like working on right <laughs> now because I, f- I feel like there's always more stuff to, to learn and new sort of like tips and tricks to pick up. So, yeah. And I live uh, in just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, with my family.
0: Nice. Well, I'm just going to say, if you ever lose that love of learning new things, rethink the direction of your career, because I- I'll tell you, you know, it, I, I kind of got sidelined for a little while on other things. And man, I'm getting back into development and I'm, you know, I'm kind of picking up Webpacker and Angular and... Yeah. I mean, that's that's the best. Oh, this new thing and fiddle, fiddle, fiddle. Oh, it works. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's actually the part that I dislike the most is that there's so many other things that I wish I had more time to <laughs> to play with and experiment with and sort of, you know, just just tack and figure out that there's just there's not enough time in the day to, you know, fiddle around with all the different different types of programming and all the different things Mm -hmm. that you can that you can build and do
0: well and i'm sorry to say it's probably only going to get worse so (laughs) anyway i usually ask the same uh questions of everybody but everybody's story is a little bit different so we'll we'll ask kind of the main broad questions and then we'll dig deep and see see what's there in your story the first thing that i usually ask is how did you get into programming
1: Yeah. So I, um, I got into programming, actually, I was working as a, as a nonprofit executive. Um, that was my first, my first career. Um, and through doing that, uh, it's sort of interesting that we were just talking about programming and how it's always challenging and interesting to learn. And, um, when I was in the nonprofit, I sort of, I came into the to the organization at a time where there was a lot of different stuff going on, a lot of change, a lot of new things that had to happen with culture and stakeholders and whatnot. Um, And it was really exciting for the first year. You know, we, like, tripled our budget and tripled our staff, and I was responsible for a lot of that. And, you know, every day I would just Google something that was Crazy, Mm -hmm. like, you know, how do you read complex bank statements and, you know, all these different, like, how to become a a separate 501c3, all these, like, you know, sort of really interesting problems. Um, And then after about a year, year and a half, everything sort of settled. Like, we were doing really well. The organization had pivoted and had a new sort of mission. The, you know, staff were happy. Um, We had really good retention. And so I actually got pretty bored. Like I felt like there weren't that many new challenges that I could sort of look at and things that I could take on. And so I started, I got involved in the, in the DC tech community, just helping startups that were, just starting out with some of the skills that I had built as a as a nonprofit exec, um, and then came up with uh, my idea for my own startup and started doing that. Just you know, lean startup methodology style, um, but got to the point where I quit my job and we were ready to, to build a site and I was working with um, a, a group of developers, a couple of friends that I had and wanted to know more about what I was actually building. I wanted to know more about what was feasible when I had these conversations with them and they would sort of talk to me about the limitations or what would take more time or less time. I just wanted a little more understanding um, into what all that meant. And so uh, the first Rails Girls workshop was happening in D.C. right around that time. And so I participated in a Rails Girls workshop, um, which was really awesome. I expected to Hate everything about it, uh, and I just loved it. Like by the end of the day, I was totally hooked. And um, I'm lucky that DC has a really, really nice, welcoming uh, community for for newcomers and for new folks. And so um, I just kept running my startup and continuing learning how to code. And then after a little while, I decided to shut down the startup. And just uh, transitioned to, to being a full-time developer. So I actually went to RubyConf that year as a scholar. It was, I think, the first year that they had the scholar guide program. Um, and that's how I got my first my first job.
0: Very nice. So I'm curious, what was your startup?
1: So my startup was uh, called Neighbor Stations, um, And it was about connecting folks in neighborhoods based on common interests.
0: Oh, okay. I'm I'm trying to think of uh how to put that but I I it, yeah anyway I was going to say Facebook meets and then I'm like I'm not sure what it meets
1: yeah, it was it's sort of a, yeah, I mean, it was a hyper local thing. And the idea was that, um, you know, I was in living in DC at the time, and such a, a transient city, you never know who your neighbors are, you never really know folks around you. Um, uh-huh. And the idea was that I had, I actually had a lot of friends that said that it was easier to date people online and to just make friends through sort of like dating sites than it was to just make friends with folks that sort of lived around you. Um, and so the idea of the platform was was a way to uh, a way to make those connections while like supporting local businesses as well. Um, so I still think it's a really great idea. You know, in retrospect, like anyone who's run a failed startup, I would have done it totally different if I was gonna, you know, go back and do it again. But um, yeah, but it was a, it was an incredible learning experience. And I definitely wouldn't have sort of Gone on this path to becoming a developer had I not had that experience.
0: Yeah, I love it. I'm also curious, you mentioned that uh, the DC tech community is very welcoming to newcomers. And I've, I've generally seen that around. Um, I've interacted pretty heavily with the JavaScript, um, the iOS development, and the Ruby communities. And uh, I, I tend to see that pretty much everywhere. Um, you know, you go to some of the conferences and they're more geared toward experts, but a lot of the local communities are very welcoming. I'm curious, though, what was it about the local community that got you involved and made you feel like you belong there?
1: Yeah, so when I like at the end of the Rails Girls workshop day, there are all these coaches, and the coaches are generally folks that are pretty involved in, in you know in the local meetups and whatnot, and um, and they all said you know definitely come out to meetups, you know let us know when you're coming, uh, you know we're happy to answer questions if you're you know if you have questions about the talk or questions in general, um, and. There is also, in D.C., there's a fair amount of co-working that happens around meetups. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so what will happen is if there's, there's a couple of different local Ruby meetups even. And so you'll have the Ruby meetup, but during the day, a bunch of folks will be at a coffee shop co-working um, for the day before the meetup. And so I was able to just sort of show up and be working on, you know, the Michael Hartle tutorial or Ruby cones or, you know, any of those sort of intro things. And as I got stuck or as I had a question or um, what was really great also is that as I would ask a question, people would say like, well, there are actually two opinions about that. And which like sometimes can be overwhelming as as a as a newbie, but I feel like they often did it in like a very mm-hmm. approachable way where it wasn't like one way is right and one way is wrong, but like these are two options or these are two ways to think about it. And so just the ability to like go to a coffee shop, sit down at a table, and have everybody so willing and nice to just answer questions and sort of get to know what I was doing and why I wanted to become a developer and, you know, and, and help out was, was really great. And when I was done with tutorials and just started building stuff on my own, they were also really fantastic in terms of code review and helping to refactor, helping to, um, like, already push the mindset of writing tests and trying to, like, do test-driven development as well, um, which I feel like is not often something you get so early on. And so all of that, I feel like, really gave me a strong foundation. And the fact that people were just, like, willing to do that without, you know, really without anything in return um, was phenomenal. Mm,
0: nice. That is really great. And, uh, yeah, I wish they did the the co-working here before the meetups. I think that would be terrific. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, most of the meetups, it's funny, when I started going to the meetups, they were all down toward uh, Provo because uh, I live in Utah. I live south of Salt Lake City. Um, or they were up in Salt Lake City and I kind of live right in the middle. And uh, now they've built a huge business park called Thanksgiving Point that's uh, between Provo and Salt Lake. And they've all moved there. So it's, they're all like five minutes from my house. And there are a ton of restaurants right there. And I just, I, I just, I love that idea of just getting together. And, you know, even if you kind of sit there with your headphones on and, you know, work on stuff on your own and then, Hey, I got a question or how do I do this? Or, you know, just have that collaboration. That just sounds, that sounds really awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When it was, it was really great. I mean, I've also, uh, since becoming a developer, I've always been remote and people ask me all the time, like, Oh, do you feel like you miss out on so much being, a, um, you know, especially when I started as like a junior developer, you know, do you feel like you miss out on, be, not being a part of that in-office conversation, you just there are words that you don't hear, things you just don't know, and I think that um, co-working and finding folks to sort of work around helped fill helped fill the gap because I still was, you know, I still was hearing those conversations, etc. Even mm-hmm. when I was starting out, even though I was working remotely.
0: So you must be the unicorn then, because I keep talking to junior developers, and they're like. I can't I can't find a job. You know, they're brand new. And it sounds like I, maybe you just glossed over all the struggles you went through to find a, a job with Collective Idea. But do you want to talk about how that worked out for you? And then uh, especially in a remote position, I don't see very many companies at all hiring junior developers for remote positions.
1: Yeah. Um, so Collective Idea is... My it's my third developer position. Okay. Um, so I've had a couple. I've had a couple before before this one. How I found my my first job was like I mentioned. I, I went to RubyConf as a as a scholar, and there uh, the DC area usually has like a fairly large contingent of folks that go to conferences which was comforting for me as like a, you know, this was my first tech conference ever, but about a month before the conference, uh, every day somebody would say to me, so there's lightning talks, you're doing a lightning talk, right? And I was like, <laughs> no, that's crazy. Like, I don't know what I would talk about. And the next day someone would be like, you're doing a lightning talk, right? So what ended up happening is this literally happened from, from someone every single day for about a month. And so by the time I got to RubyConf, they were like, lightning co- talk, light, you know, lightning talk, uh, lightning talk signup board is up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a lightning talk. Uh, so so, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so I, I did a lightning talk on mentorship from a newbie's perspective. So from someone who's new, what are like really helpful, helpful tips for a mentor to, to know. And I got really great feedback on Twitter. And so at the end of the talk, I tweeted out, uh, if you liked my lightning talk, then you'll love me as an employee. Would love to chat about my first developer position. Nice. Um, and yeah, it was actually just had like the rest of my conference. I was basically like meeting with folks and having coffee and chatting, and um, you know, it was a really uh, it was a really great way to just sort of like to get a foot in the door. Um, I would say that I've I've been a developer for. Three and a half years, I mm-hmm. think. So I will say that I do think that there was less competition for junior developers coming into the fields. You know, a few years ago, I think there, like when I transitioned to being a full time developer, there were no uh, DC coding boot camps at all. None mm-hmm. had none had opened yet. Um, and so that you know that field has really like now there are a lot of different boot camps and a lot of different styles and approaches, et cetera. So um, I feel there was, you know, a little, a little less competition. I also got very involved in the community. And this is something that I always tell folks. Um, My first job, you know, beyond just sort of like the. The tweet that helped me get a lot of soft introductions. I also had this whole group of folks from the DC area that were senior developers sort of vouching for me and talking and able to talk, able to serve as references and able to talk to employers about how they'd seen me learn over a couple of months, the sort of approach that I took to coding, the, um, you know, the questions that I asked, like they were able to really talk to that and, that like, I wouldn't have had that if I wasn't so involved in the community. Um, and finally, in terms of working remotely, I actually, I actually did a, a conference talk about this, uh, last year, um, it's called, uh, even the justice league works remotely. Um, <laughs> <Nice. yeah. laughs> uh, and, and the basic idea is that I think there's a lot of, hesitation. I have found this looking for my second and third jobs. Like there's a lot of hesitation to not hire, um, non-senior developers. And that could be somebody who's junior. It could also be somebody who's, you know, who's mid-level. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of hesitation and concern about people who will just be stuck and not let people know about, um, you know, communication, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that the most important thing for, for employers um, is to know what questions to ask and to know how to sort of figure that out uh, when you're interviewing a candidate so beyond just like you know the the code exercises to ask some behavioral interview questions about situations they've been in scenarios etc I think it was a little easier for me because I had, I had this whole career before I became a developer. You know, I had years mm-hmm. in an industry. I had I'd worked remotely before when I was running my startup. I was also working remotely. So, um You know, I had a lot of examples that I could point to. I ran a remote team when when I was in the nonprofit, we expanded our we tripled our team and we went from an all in office team to a partially remote team. And I was responsible for making sure that that ran well from like the managerial perspective. So I was able to talk to that as somebody coming in from the employee perspective and say, like, as a manager, this is what I found important. So as an employee, these are some of the things that I do, which I think made it easier.
0: That's terrific. And again, I I should point out that uh, I have a course on how to find your first uh, and second in uh, developer job because sometimes people kind of get the first one on luck or who they know and then they they don't know if they're good enough for that second job. You know, the first one it was well, I know somebody's going to take a chance on me, and the second one is now what? So uh, you know, I'm I've got that coming together, but I haven't released it yet. And that what you talked about, you know, just getting to know people is by far the most important thing you can do. Um, Either they're going to wind up being the person who hires, they're going to be somebody who the person who's doing the hiring is that they trust, or you know, yeah, they can at least fill in as that reference if they're not one of those two people. But people tend to hire people that they either they know or people they trust know. Mm -hmm. So That's great. Um, I I really want to dig into that a little bit more, but we, we kind of have to keep moving so that we can <laughs> <laughs> talk about all of the things. So um, I, I did ask how you got into programming and you talked about Rails Girls. So I'm assuming that's how you got into Ruby as well. That That's the second question that I usually ask.
1: Yeah, I sort of got into Ruby through picking a technology for my startup. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was asking around about what the platform should be built in, uh, I talked to a lot of I talked to a lot of different people and I got like so many opinions It like made my head spin. Um, but really what it came down to was that I had heard through all of people talking about, you know, technical trade-offs and all of that sort of stuff that at that point I really didn't understand or have much of a um, – like I just didn't have much of a sense of, so that was interesting to hear, but it wasn't super helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I heard about the Ruby community was that it was approachable, it was friendly to newbies, and that there were some like really good tools and tutorials to sort of like get started if I wanted to know um, if I wanted to know a little bit more. And so, really, I I chose Ruby because people said that the people were nice, and it's actually still how I often. Um, will choose languages or things that I want to investigate, I'll sort of look at the community and the folks that are talking about that language or that framework and what's going on there. And uh, if, if it looks like there are nice people and helpful resources, then that's sort of how I decide what direction I want to go in.
0: That's really interesting. How do you find that out? How do you find that out about a community? Do you just talk to people who are doing it? Or is there another better way to do that?
1: I talk to people who are doing it. Um, I, I follow a bunch of people on Twitter. And so sometimes, you know, folks, I think a lot of folks from the Ruby community sort of diverge into other, you know, Elixir, Elm, um, Ember, sort of various, you know, various other avenues. Um, and so you can sort of see who's, who's going down which paths. Um, and so that to me is sort of like a, a first hint, and then you can see as a as a community develops how they develop. So, uh, Elm, for example, I haven't had as much time to play around with it as I'd like to, but. I've been following Elm since pretty early, since like one of the first Strange Loop talks that they did as like an introduction. But you know, they sort of established a, a lot around niceness of the language. They have run Elm bridges, which are all about you know getting new folks uh, f- familiar and comfortable with the language. And so you can sort of, I think, oftentimes you can see how tutorials or how READMEs or resources develop, um, and if there is if there's a mind towards making the language approachable for folks, then that, I think, comes through pretty clearly in the readmes and the tutorials and the blog posts, etc., from the folks that are the most involved in creating the language. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What, what Was that what you liked about Ruby? Was just the approachability of the community? Was that what kept you here? Or was there something about the language or Rails or anything else that
1: kind of grabbed you as well? I mean I would say that that's that's what has kept me here I think the community is just is just really wonderful. Yeah, I would say that I like I like being exposed to, you know, other languages and other things, but I also, you know, oftentimes I also feel like there's still so much more Ruby and Rails to learn, you know, I feel like I know a decent amount, but I also feel like I'm only scratching the surface. So I'm always hesitant to like dive full force into, you know, into something else. So.
0: Yep. So what have you done in Ruby that you're most proud of or in the community either way?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of my contributions have mostly been to the community. I mean, I um, now I help uh, organized the, the RubyConf, RailsConf, the scholar guide program, um, helped organize a handful of, uh, Rails Girls DC workshops. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of conference talks. I've done a lot of conference speaking, which I think is probably what people know me for the Mm -hmm. most, um, on, on sort of a variety of topics.
0: What's your favorite thing to speak about?
1: So recently, I started doing a talk. I just gave this talk at Write Speak Code, and I'm, I'm giving it at uh, All Things Open um, at the end of October, and it's it's a talk about writing interactive workshops. Um, see so yes, yeah, so the idea that when you want to teach people something, uh, it often sort of turns into just like a conference talk with like a slide deck and you're just sort of giving information, um, which is nice, but it's not, it's harder for people to really grab onto. It's Mm -hmm. harder to like really internalize what's going on. Um, There's a concept called experiential learning, which is like actually experiencing something and then, you know, and learning and having a discussion based on that, um, which is a technique that I've been using to do sort of, workshops and lessons and leadership trainings and technical trainings and all sorts of stuff since, since high school, like since I was 14, um, And it's something that I learned in like a youth program that I was in. And it's just, it's really effective. And I I love writing them and I love doing them. And oftentimes people think they're really difficult because they they seem really cool when you're a participant in one of them. But there's actually sort of a formula that you can break down and that you can turn almost anything that you want to teach into an interactive workshop. And so um, for me, it's a lot of fun because it's something it's something that I've been doing for a couple of decades that I finally figured out how to sort of translate into like a really cool talk for technical conferences.
0: Nice. So is that what you're working on now? Or is there anything else you want to dive into and talk about and kind of plug?
1: That's mostly what I'm working on now. I uh, I mentioned the RubyConf RailsConf Scholar Guide program, which is which is really awesome and a lot of fun to to work on. I guess the other interesting thing that I do is um, at Collective Idea. I so I'm mostly a developer, but a small portion of my time I'm also responsible for people-related things. So making sure that everyone on the team is happy and growing professionally, and that sort of pulls from my previous career. Uh, so it's, it's nice to be able to continue flexing that muscle and, um, you know, using, using that part of, of my brain as well. Um, and so that's always, that's really, really interesting and, and a lot of fun to sort of take, take some of the lessons from what I've done in other industries and translate it for technical, technical folks.
0: Awesome, man. I really want to see this talk (laughs) on (laughs) interact. Workshops. I'll I'll have to find video somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the last part of the show, and you were just on Ruby Rogue, so you you get what picks are. But before I get to picks, uh, if people want to follow you, I, I don't know if you have a Twitter or GitHub that you're active on or a blog. Uh, but where do people go to see what you're up to these days?
1: Yeah. So I have a blog. It's called uh, Daydreams and Ruby, and I'm also pretty active on on Twitter. I'm Allie. A-L-L-I-E underscore P on Twitter. So I also, have you know, GitHub and Speaker Deck and blah, blah, blah. But right. probably Twitter and, uh, and my blog are, are the best places to, to find me.
0: All right. Well, let's do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere and it's a great way to grow your business plus freshbooks is offering a 30-day trial that's right 30-day trial if you try them out so go to gofreshbooks.com devchat dev chat and enter dev chat in the how did you hear about a section once again for a 30-day trial go to gofreshbooks.com devchat dev chat and enter dev chat in the how did you hear about a section what what are some things you want to shout out about
1: yeah. So I have two picks. My first one is um, Linda Lucas's Hello Ruby. Uh, so I have a son who's who's two and a half. So I think we're just about to start. We, we talk about code all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I where, do that with my
0: kids, too. I give them if statements. If you do that, you will go to your room. <laughs>
1: Well, I joke that I, um, I was in a book club and we were learning about Haskell while I was pregnant. And so I would read it aloud and I was like, you're learning Haskell, like in the womb, small baby. Uh, (laughs) um, but yeah, you know, we talk about our days and I tell him about code problems that, that I've solved. And he tells me, Bits and pieces about preschool, uh, but um, I think that Linda Lucas's "Hello Ruby" is just like a really a really fun book and a really um, yeah a really great way to you know get children and sort of all folks like you know into into Ruby and into programming in general. So that's that's my first pick. My second one is that when I'm not coding and doing other stuff. Uh, I really love baking. Um, it's like one of my favorite things to do. I have less time to do it now than I, than I used to, but smitten kitchen is an awesome, um, an awesome site for for baking and for recipes uh, for cooking in general. And I especially recommend the blondies recipe because it's really amazing. It's super quick and you probably have all the ingredients in your house. So the blondies are like, I need something sweet. And I really only want to spend five minutes making it these those like that's my go to.
0: Awesome. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks, uh, just some things that I have been working on lately. Uh, One of them is I set up my own GitLab server, which if you're not familiar with it, it's an open source application that mostly mirrors GitHub. And, uh, you know, I just have the Community Edition installed on a DigitalOcean server. Um, I'm looking at it both from the standpoint of I just I like having the control. And then, um, the other, the other part of it is, is that, um, the $40 a month server is a whole lot cheaper for me than, you know, having two organizations that I'm paying for and my personal, uh, setup on GitHub. So, um, anyway, uh, some stuff going on there and I'm, I'm really liking it. Um, another thing that I'm going to pick is also related to this GitHub or Git, not GitHub, GitLab acquired Mattermost. And Mattermost is an open source application that mirrors Slack. And so I'm pulling that together. That's what we're going to be using for the Ruby Dev Summit for all Access Pass holders and speakers and uh, super great stuff. And uh, so, yeah, um, definitely looking at that. And then, yeah, I went and looked up Hello Ruby while you were talking about it, and this looks really great. So um, we might have to get her on Ruby Rogues or something and talk through it. But anyway, Yeah,
1: Linda's pretty awesome.
0: But yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this up there. If you want to get tickets to Ruby Dev Summit, you can do that at rubydevsummit.com, um, and they're free. And it's going to be online, so you don't have to travel. So if those are your concerns about uh, where it is and how much it costs, uh, those are basically non issues. If you want to watch it live, the tickets are free. If you want to get the videos and stuff like that, and I'm pulling together some other freebies, um, then yeah, you have to pay for a ticket. But um, it's only ninety seven dollars and. I like the free part of it because then it's available to people who you know, are coming into the industry and may not have the money to shell out for a conference. Anyway, thank you for coming, Allison.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, we will uh, wrap this one up and we will catch you next week with another story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.